All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, 8020 Baseball Coaching Community, the 8020 Baseball Community. Coach Bo here. I am pumped up. We have an interview with Coach Slater, Jared Slater. We are fresh off our seven week, our seven part series, the seven habits of highly effective coaches. And as promised, the aforementioned interview is coming to you right away on this episode. We're not doing any intro, we're doing nothing else except going straight to the interview interview. This interview is strength and conditioning centered, and we did our best to focus specifically on youth baseball. I think the interview turned out really well. Part one of the interview coming at you right now. All right. I am here with Jared Slater. Coach Slater, how you doing, Jared? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm fired up to have you here. And just a quick little background, and then I'm going to let you, Jared, tell the audience about yourself, your backstory, what you're currently doing in the strength and conditioning and sports world. Jared's originally from Northern California, so a California guy like myself, went out in Missouri, Missouri Western, a baseball person, and now is working in and working through the strength and conditioning world. So the combination of the two, we have this podcast for youth baseball, the 8020 community. And I get a lot of questions about strength and conditioning. We have this youth baseball community that does ask me a lot of questions about strength and conditioning and fitness and when to start, when not to. There's a lot of misconceptions. So I'm excited to have you on, Jared. And I'd love to hear more from you, your backstory, and what has been the path that's led to where you are at now? I guess it's going to start in high school. I actually did not play my senior year. I had an elbow injury that eventually led to me getting Tommy John. After high school, I went to junior college. I went to a junior college in Saratoga, California called West Valley there for three years. And then during that, I redshirted my freshman year because I was trying to get healthy, end up playing my second year, and then got Tommy John at the end of that year. During my third year was COVID and that screwed up a lot of things going on. Then I ended up transferring to another junior college in California called Kumis River up by Sacramento. We had a shortened season, so we played about 15 games and I had pitched well enough to get a scholarship to pitch at Missouri Western State, which is a division two out in Western Missouri. During my time there, I decided I needed a little extra help. And so I signed up to go to Tread Addicts. I trained there. I went in-house and had an incredibly awesome experience that just broadened my horizons and really opened me up to the more in-depth side of training, not just for baseball, but in all sports. Then as of now, I am currently going to be graduating at the end of the summer. And then I will be interning at a facility called BRX Performance in Milwaukee. Then after that is over, I will be making the drive down to TU. I got an opportunity to intern with Coach Dakin, and that's something I'm incredibly excited for and really excited to learn from him. A lot of people know he's probably, I'd say he's the the gold standard when it comes to performance training. He has a really good program going on down there and I'm just super, super excited to learn from him. Also working at a gym here in the same city I go to school in. It's called Kingdom Fit and we deal with all kinds of populations. We have an older population, we got younger kids, we got athletes. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. 
Awesome, Jared. Thanks for sharing that. Now, I'm going to back up a little and add a little extra here to just say some good stuff about Jared. And one of the things is I've been following Jared on Twitter, which I like the baseball community on Twitter. I think there's a lot of good information out there, a lot of great coaches, a lot of great wisdom being passed around. I've been following Jared and I just thought your messaging and where you were coming from, your mindset, it really fit into what we're trying to talk about and the kind of the message we're trying to share out here in the 80-20 community. So when I saw that, I was thinking strength and conditioning is always a question that comes up in youth baseball. And as the kids get a little stronger and start getting ready for high school, but your messaging really piqued my interest. And then we connected, we were talking and I'm excited to bring you on. And another thing, I love to bring on younger coaches. I love to bring on younger coaches. Now I do like bringing on some older coaches. Half the coaches I've interviewed have been older than me and half have been younger, but I do like to bring in some young coaches that are not too far removed from playing. It's been very recent that they've been playing or still playing. And so to hear from a coach that's younger, that can really share out a, maybe a little different perspective, a hybrid perspective from a player and a coach's standpoint. It fires me up. And again, Tread Athletics is, like you said, one of the best places out there for, it's a little more advanced training, but definitely can be used at all levels. Very good stuff coming out of ethics and in a TU inter internship. That's awesome. Yeah, that's big time. And uh, that's a big time thing. I'm really happy for you. Congrats on that. That is, that's going to be awesome. And uh, I know, Jared, you said you're going to, as you move through that and working over at TCU, you're, you might come back on and hopefully we can have you back on and share out what you're continuing to learn and things you're doing. And I know you already know a lot and I'm excited to have you share out your wisdom here with the listeners. All right. So Jared, before we move into some of these really meat and potato questions, I know there was a, a couple more things you got going on and also maybe you could share out how the listeners could get in touch with you and reach out to you. And then we'll retouch on this later at the very end, but maybe you could talk about those last couple of things before we get into the meat and potatoes. Yeah. Like I said before, I'm currently working at a gym called Kingdom Fit, and then I'm doing some remote stuff as well. I got an opportunity to remotely program some red shirts at Ohlone Junior College in California. They're one of the top junior college teams in California. And then I also will be programming a college summer team called the Dub C Fish Sticks. So the, the Dub C Fish Sticks are going to be a team we're going to be working with this summer. And then as for finding me, I'm really only on Twitter. I'm not really big on social media. I know that's a little different than what most people do nowadays, but you can find me on Twitter at I am underscore Slater R. Someone already took I am underscore Slater. So I had to make sure I could still get it. But yeah at I am underscore Slater R. Awesome. Hey, you know what? I do remember talking about something with you. My mom was against conditioning in, in, in certain ways. Like when I was younger, my mom would go to the coach and I was like 10 years old. It was a soccer team I was on and she'd go to the coach and say, hey, I don't want them doing push-ups. They were under the impression that doing anything like that was bad. That was the eighties. And I know you were talking about your mom was against lifting weights too. But it's interesting now, here we are big ask for conditioning and fitness for youth sports and uh, proponents of it. Now, I'm not saying our parents were off the mark. But I'm sure that their intentions were great. And what they knew at the time probably led them to make those decisions. And I, it's probably better to err on the side of being at that age. But is that something that as you got older, as you've moved through your, your kind of things that you were taught when you were younger, some things like, is, is that kind of helped mold you into being more open-minded or progressive or just seeing if there's other ways to do it than maybe what you knew as a kid? Yeah. 
definitely. Like you said, my mom was, for good reason too, at the time, it was thought that shame and conditioning can stunt your growth. It has all these, not really shame and conditioning, we're weightlifting in general. It could stunt your growth, could have all these other issues. And then as different studies came out and as people learned more, they thought that, hey, maybe this isn't the way. And then as for just being open, I love to learn. I'm always open to being proven wrong or looking for a discussion. I think that I'm always trying to find, I wouldn't say the next best thing, but always looking to be and always looking to have reason behind why I do something. I don't really understand the idea of doing something just to do it. If I'm going to do something, there's going to need to be a reason behind it, or there has to be a reason behind the method that I do. Because with machine and conditioning, we're working with not just an athlete, but we're almost in charge of their health for the rest of their life. We can seriously injure athletes if we do things the wrong way. So making sure that we're able to not only provide the best possible program to them, we can provide the one that's going to help them the most. Just because something might work for one athlete doesn't mean it's going to work for another athlete. Athletes are the same and they're different. They're the same where the idea of sport specificity, where a certain athlete for a certain sport needs to do something, but another athlete in that same sport may need something else. Being aware and always being open to learning is something that I really pride myself on and I'll never be stuck in my ways. I'm always going to be open to learn, open to being challenged, open discourse, because at the end of the day, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we evolve. Absolutely. I love your curious approach. And that's one of the things that really stood out as I've been following you on Twitter that really piqued my interest. One of the many things you have a very curious approach of a lot of coaches on Twitter, they make declarations or definitive comments, basically like the science is settled kind of stuff. And they say it in other ways, but it's basically like, this is how it's going to always be. And if you don't agree with this, then you're wrong. And I love your approach. Yours is very curious. You have your beliefs and you have a lot of knowledge. And I can tell that, but you also have kind of a Socrates approach. And I love that. And I also love that you come about it. What's the why behind it? Why are we doing it? So I know I jumped the gun there a little bit, Jared, got into a question. It hit me. I remember we had that same commonality. Here's my mom, who was a very bright person like your mom is, and they were just looking out for us. And these are things that youth parents, these are some of the things that youth parents are still, I think, going back and forth with. I jumped the gun and got into it a little bit. I'm glad you could ad lib a little there. Let's dive into the first question that that we have laid out here. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this one with regard to the strength and conditioning at the youth baseball level. So with regard to strength conditioning at the youth baseball level, what are, say, two key things that you believe are misunderstood the most by youth coaches and youth parents? Yeah, the two things I think that are the most misunderstood, I'll start with the first one here, is you don't need the most super complicated, super advanced program at a young age. We see all these things on social media where we see these guys doing these crazy exercises. They got bands, they're doing all these crazy twisting and turning and all these super social media workouts. Some of them provide value, some of them don't. But with a super young training age, so young training age means someone who has not trained for very long. It could be an 18-year-old, it could be a 10-year-old. Someone with a very young training age does not need the most advanced program. They need the very basic level program. And the reason why this is, when you look at training age, it's the whole idea of, we have all heard, newbie gains or beginner gains. When we first start working out, the body is looking for a stimulus. It's looking for something to adapt to. Once it finds something, it's going to adapt to that. And at the beginning, since it hasn't had this stimulus for a while, it's going to adapt super, super quickly. So the reason why we don't want to waste these adaptations super early with these super advanced programs is these super advanced programs are meant for someone who is a lot older. 
They've been training for six, eight, even 10 years. It could even be as little as four years. Basically, what's going to happen is if we train this super advanced level, so we start incorporating bands, we start incorporating very specific percentages, we're going to waste adaptations early that we could use later. The best way I like to describe it is like a pyramid. On the very bottom of the pyramid, we have the very basic. We can go squat, we can go bench press, we can go jumping. That's like the very, very basic, very bottom. Then we can build on top of that. We can do different types of squats. We can do lateral squats. We can do squats in different planes. Then we can get even more specific. Now we can add bands. So we need to build that pyramid up. So the very, very bottom layer is the most important because we think about this, the bottom two layers are going to make us 80% better. Then when we get to the top, there's that extra 20%. And if we get to the very top, we can even divide that into 15 and 5%. And at a young age, that 80% is going to make such a big difference. That advanced 5% it's not going to do anything at a young age. And by the time we get to the age that 5% is going to benefit us, we could have wasted it. It could not have any use because once the body adapts, it needs something stronger to then further that adaptation. We can't just do the same thing over and over and expect the body to get better. We have to keep challenging it. But that's why for a young age, the super basic program, almost just squats, push-ups, a couple jumps here and there. At a super young age, you don't need something crazy, something over the top. The other one I had is, I know we, ju we just talked about lifting weights at a young age isn't going to really do anything. But at the same time, I think there is an age that is too young to start there. At the end of the day, baseball is a kid's game and there are kids playing baseball. So getting a kid into the weight room and putting them through a hour workout when they're 10 years old, it just does not make sense. They're young. They got to be kids. You got to let them be kids. You're trying to get your eight-year-old, 10-year-old, even 12-year-old to focus and get into a weight room and take it seriously is you're not really going to get much benefit out of it because they're kids. They want to play. They want to have fun. I think the best way to structure that is once they get into sixth grade, I think that's the perfect introduction to the weight room and just teaching them good form, teaching them what the weight room is, how to be safe in it and what to look for, what to do in it is a great idea for the first two years. And then once we get into that seventh, eighth grade range entering high school, that's when we can really start to put some weights on, put some weight on the bar, get them doing some things that are going to challenge their body. But we really need to build a good foundation for them. Starting it too early is for some of them might ruin the experience because they're not trying to take it super seriously. They're there most likely with their friends. They're going to joke. They're going to play around. And at the end of the day, they're going to be kids. We got to let kids be kids because as soon as you start taking baseball or any sport for that matter and turning it into, I wouldn't say a job, but turning it into something that they have to do versus something that they want to do, that's when you, you start to lose interest and your kid's not going to enjoy it and you're not going to enjoy it because they're not going to enjoy it. Awesome. What I heard there was doesn't need to be super advanced program. And I know you just listed three things, but three key things for keeping it basic would be like squats and jumps. And I know there's variations that I'm sure you do with your athletes, but from a broad perspective, the basics, squats, jumps, even push-ups. Hey, speaking of push-ups, I saw on Twitter a video of a coach that had, and this is for kids that can't do push-ups. They can't do a full push-up. And I, I meant to send it over your way. It was a really cool modification. Essentially, it was just get into a straight arm plank. So the athlete would just get into like initials push-up position at the top, arms straight. And then just lowered, the athlete just lowered themselves down to the ground and then went back to the knees, got back up and did it again. It was basically just working on lowering themselves down. Now, that's still a lot of work because they couldn't go from the bottom up, but they could go from the top down slowly. And I thought it was a really cool modification for young kids, maybe aren't quite ready for the push-up. So anyways, just got excited when I saw that because I love when I see things that younger kids could do. And I hear you say push-ups and I thought that's a really good modification for kids that can't quite 
I do a push-up effectively? And I'm sure there's other modifications to that. I love your pyramid analogy or metaphor there to build the pyramid. And you talk to 80%, which is always music to my ears, really focusing on those key things, especially for youth baseball and the time they have. And let kids be kids. On a one-hour workout for a nine-year-old in the gym, in the weight room, they're just not ready for that. The interest isn't obviously there and they're just not ready for that. I love how you articulated that out. and It made a lot of sense. And then sixth grade, a good age to maybe start age range. So I'm sure some fifth graders and maybe some kids aren't ready till seven. I like to use that age range terminology. So you said sixth grade, so maybe seventh grade, sixth grade, maybe fifth grade for somebody who's a little more advanced is a good age to maybe get used to the weight room. Did I hear that right? Was I missing anything? No, exactly. Yeah. Like kids, they need to be kids. And again, with the age range, it's really up to them and up to their parents. If they feel like they're ready and they feel like they can concentrate, then it's the best thing for them. Because as good as the weight room is, it's also a chance to get hurt. Like you said, age range, I agree. It's probably more of an age range, that fifth, sixth, seventh range. It's really as long as they can pay attention in the weight room, listen, follow instructions and not get hurt because at the end of the day, the weight room is there to help make our on the field play better and help us advance. We want to minimize as much as we can the risk of getting hurt in the weight room. And a big part of that has to do with paying attention. Once we're at the age, we can pay attention, we can listen, we're excited to be there. That's the perfect age to start. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Jared. Let's dive into the second main question, our main course here. What are two to three strength and conditioning things that youth baseball players should be doing the most? What are the two or three things that they should be doing the most? And if you want to break it into, say, there are pre-weight room kids, so maybe like your fourth and fifth graders, is there one or two things that they should be focusing on? Maybe out on the field or something the coaches could be working on them with. And then maybe, so you get those sixth and seventh graders eighth graders, what would be maybe one, two or three things that they should really be focusing on the most? What are the most important things for youth baseball kids to, to focus on? I would say the most important thing to focus on, especially at the youth level, is going to be practicing healthy habits. So what I mean by this is we got to set up a good foundation. We need to start practicing what it's like to eat well, what it's like to sleep, how to have a good balance with sport and outside having positive self-talk and taking care of the body. So these things are really good to practice at a young age because we're young and we get to practice. And the whole point of practicing is to get better at it. I know a lot of parents, a lot of kids really want, as a parent, you want to see your kid be successful. You want to see them attain their goals, chase their dream. If it's playing professional baseball, it's playing professional baseball or playing at the highest level that they can. And as a kid, it's everyone's goal as a kid playing baseball is to play professionally, playing college, play at the highest level. And the biggest separator that I've noticed between different levels is the consistency of the athlete. How good are they not at baseball, but the other things that go into it? So that's sleep, nutrition, training, mindset, self-talk, everything that goes into being a baseball player that doesn't involve baseball is something I would recommend practicing at a young age. That's probably the most important thing. If you don't have good habits, you're not going to be able to form them later when it really matters. So I would say you shouldn't, you can't form them, but it's going to be a lot harder than if you do it at a younger age. That's my most important important thing is make sure we're building good habits, make sure we're practicing them as a kid, which really tempting to want to eat candy all the time and to eat whatever. But the sooner you can practice eating healthy and eating a good balanced diet, staying on top of it, the easier it's going to be later on. You know, when you get to college, you're completely on your own. Your parents aren't there. You have your friends, you have your baseball, you have your outside of baseball, really making sure that you're going to be disciplined enough at that age to keep going and to stay on top of it is really important. I believe that starts at a young age. I was very lucky. My mom and dad both preached health to me at a very young age and taught me what it was like, taught me how to eat well, not only how to eat well, but how to cook. 
So I think that's another important thing too, is learning how to cook. I feel like that skill is unfortunately going away with how easy it is. We have DoorDash, we have Uber Eats, we have all these different ways of getting food, but nutrition is super, super important. Not only how you perform on the field, it's also how you live a healthy life. Baseball and sports are only a very small part of our life and we need to be able to be healthy after that. Practicing healthy habits, definitely any youth level could be eight to 14, 15, 16. That's going to be the most important. And that's not to say that, oh, you're young, don't never eat candy. Everything in moderation. You can do everything you want as long as you're smart about it. Candy's totally cool, especially at a young age, because kids, like I said before, kids got to be kids. Next thing I would say that's super important that I think youth baseball players should be doing is for probably for the older ages, now we're getting into sixth, seventh grade, let's develop basic form and basic strength. And all lifts per se, more like the major ones, like I said before, your squat, now that we're getting older, the bench press and deadlift, let's make sure we set a good form foundation as well. So I guess my overall message is building foundations, not only in the weight room, but outside the weight room. So in the weight room, really making sure we're nailing down our form because your form is, you're only going to go as far as your form is going to carry you. So if you have bad form, yeah, at one point you're going to be able to lift a lot of weight because the body is going to get stronger if you want it to get stronger. But in order to avoid injury and actually to lift more perfect form or as close to perfect form as possible is going to be the most important thing. Building that foundation of hey, this is how we squat and really making sure that you get it at basically perfect because that's what's going to set us up for the rest. It's a lot easier at the beginning when the body doesn't know how to do it to teach it how to do it than to correct something that's been going on and been performed incorrectly for a year or two years. Really making sure we're developing good foundations. I think that you see a lot of athletes, almost, I would say fizzle out once the weight room gets too intense because they either didn't develop good form when they're younger or they're getting hurt too much because they're trying to throw on this weight when their body's not ready. Being able to really make sure that our form is nailed down is super, super important. That's going to keep you healthy. It's going to also make the weight room fun because everyone wants to lift a ton of weight. Making sure we can lift it healthy is incredibly important. The nutrition is a perfect example of how we can use youth sports, Jared, for a vehicle to prepare kids for life. And we can say, hey, you want to win more games? Hey, do you want to play well on Saturday? Well, the nutrition, how you fuel your body, the strength you get, the vitamins, the nutrients that you're getting right now are going to help you play better. Or if you eat a lot of junk food, you're going to play less. That means you may very well have fewer hits. You may not be able to run as fast. You may not be able to make as many plays on defense. You might get a little more tired while you're pitching and not be able to keep that focus and keep your pitching delivery up the par or optimize it throughout the game. So I think it's a good sell for a good tie-in for using youth sports as a kind of a really fun way to get kids ready for life. And nutrition is just one of those pieces. I also think of the 80-20 principle with nutrition. One thing I do with, with my kid is it's like, hey, you want to eat that, you got to eat this. So you got an 80% healthy, 20% whatever you want. Now, when I say whatever, I try to steer her towards, okay, you want ice cream? Cool. You can have ice cream with hot fudge, but I try to get a decent quality ice cream and some hot fudge where the first ingredient isn't high fructose corn syrup and things like that. 80% healthy, 20% junk, but balance. It made me think of what you said, let kids be kids. And then as the kids get older, you talked about building foundations, form. I got a question for you though about form. So having good form is definitely important, especially as you increase resistance, right? You increase the weight to resistance. You want to have good form, injuries, things like that. Postural things, problems can occur, especially in young kids, or you could just flat out get a kid hurt right then and there. 
on a baseball field, there are 100 to 200 or different types of movements in a game that a kid can make. If you combine the different angles of the joints in different movements, you could have maybe a thousand different combinations of movements in a baseball game. So no way are you going to be able to replicate that in a gym or in a training environment and or at least you're not going to have enough time most likely or are you going to be able to produce that many types of exercises. So where's the balance between having good form and technique in the weight room for these middle school kids that are just learning how to do, even if it's just with the bar or just a PVC pipe and they're learning some strength and conditioning stuff, we're just lightweights. Where's the balance between having good form and not being too rigid, not being so rigid that when they get out to the field, their fluidity, their athleticism isn't there because they went through this robotic movement in the gym. Yeah, I actually just posted something on Twitter about this, about how just because we want good form in the gym, it doesn't mean we're always going to see good form on the field, especially baseball where guys are diving, laying out, they're getting into really weird positions. So we want the body to not only be able to get into those positions, but get in and out of them safely. So for example, what I just posted about was a specific aspect of training more for the advanced group. The idea behind it was we're going to produce force on the field, not always the most ideal setting. So do we really need to be so nitpicky about form when performing explosive movements? My answer, I put it out there to see what people thought, but my answer is we probably don't need to be that nitpicky to make sure the athletes are able to perform basic movements. I'd say when we get to the basic movements, that's when it's really important to make sure we have good form. And then once we get to the movements that aren't super basic, so doing movement to different planes, that's when we can let them express their own movement. You're going to move differently. There are basic principles of movement, but everyone's going to move differently. Everyone's going to have their own way of expressing it. Just because you see an athlete move a certain way, you're like, oh, that's a, it's weird. Should we do something about it? There's a saying, so athletes are elite compensators. Just because an athlete is doing something differently doesn't mean you have to change it. You see this a lot in pitching where guys have these really weird motions and you hear coach say, oh, if I had him, I'd have him throw over the top or I wouldn't have him throw sidearm. But if that athlete is doing it and doing it well and succeeding, then there's no reason to change it. That's the same thing with the movement issue is if they're moving in a way you're like, oh, I don't really know about that. They're healthy. They're not in pain. They're being successful. Then keep it. At the end of the day, an athlete's job is not to perform in the weight room. Their job is to perform on the field. If we're being so hyper-focused on the weight room that we're trying to fix every little thing, at some point, that kid or that athlete, they're going to get in their own head about, oh, am I moving correctly? Am I doing this? I was guilty of that for a little bit. I spent so much time fixating on my mechanics and making sure I was hitting all these perfect positions when it doesn't really matter what positions you're getting into. And it does matter if you're getting hurt, if you're having pain, then we got to take a step back. But if you're not in pain, you're not hurting, and you're succeeding on the field, then what more could you ask for? That's that's the whole goal. With pitching, we want to gain velocity. We want to throw harder. That's going to come with development. You can't rush it. Same with hitting more home runs, bat speed, sprint speed. All that's going to come with development. So hyper-focusing on mechanics for that specific reason, I think is going to lead to, like you said, being rigid and being the term superdome, being too focused and not able to play because you're so focused on how you're moving. I think that it is important to make sure we're doing and performing basic movements as best as we can. Then once we're getting to that moving through positions, that's where we can let the athlete be the athlete. If they have a weird way of getting in and out of a position and they're not getting hurt, then yeah, let them do it. There's no reason to, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just because it looks a little weird, it looks a little odd, there's no reason to worry about that or to do something to fix it. As long as they're healthy, performing on the field, that's all we can ask for. Awesome. I just finished the workout before we hopped on this call. And one thing I was thinking is I was adding different movements to my lunge circuit today that I haven't done. And I've been 
exercising and working out since I was 13 in the garage. I had a little workout set. I've been doing this a long time. I'm 42, so almost 30 years. And even today, I was adding different movements and angles to my hips and back and core and rotating my torso, like on my lunges that I'd never done. But I didn't have any weights in my arms. I didn't have a bar. I didn't have any dumbbells. I didn't have a kettlebell. So it allowed me, I could do it safely. And I was moving through all these different things where I was almost falling over a little bit and having to reset. But I know I would never be able to get away with that if I was thinking about maxes. And I think about the movement over maxes concept that I know you're going to hear a lot about and do a lot with at TCU. I just think of movement over maxes. It's have the kids not only have quality form, have quality form when they are lifting, especially weights and resistance, but also a variety of movements too. So it's not just the quality of the movement through that one specific, say squat or whatever it is, but also the variety of movements, because when they get out to a field and you see a catcher, then shifts over to third base, then goes to the mound, then goes to the outfield and then gets up and hits. There are a lot of different movements that their hips, their shoulders, their torso, their spine. And I know you're going to talk a little bit about that later. The trick is then trying to get it all in and trying to fit it into a program and keep the basics. So there is some challenge there, but I just think this is food for thought for the listener. And that's why I'm bringing it up. And it's always fun to talk shop about strength and conditioning and that sort of thing. So is there anything you want to add to that, Jared, before we jump into the next question? Yeah. Like you talked about with switching positions and, you know, catch it going to third base and the outfield. And that's one thing I love about youth sports. And this right before we get to like high school, you really got to focus on what is these kids are athletic enough to play different positions. And a lot of this movement training that they're going to get, a lot of it's going to be done in the sport. It's super tough to simulate every single position that they're going to get into. The weight room is, you know, get them able to move and then let them express it themselves. Let the kid who can catch, play first, pitch, play outfield, the kid who can use a almost an ultimate utility player, let him be able to do that. Let him move around, let him figure out his own movement rather than try to fit him into a specific box. Oh, you're a catcher. You have to do these movements. No, they're an athlete. They're a baseball player. Let them express themselves. So avoid, as kids start getting into some strength and conditioning and fitness and training, avoid position-specific training. Train them to be an athlete. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is that right, Jared? Kind of train them to be an athlete versus training for a certain position in a sport? Exactly. Yeah. And then if I do want to expand on that a little bit, this whole idea of let them play more sports because it's going to make them more athletic. That's not really true. If you're athletic, you're going to be able to play more sports. And this is just my opinion is playing more sports doesn't make you more athletic. You can play more sports because you're athletic. All the parents and a lot of kids and some coaches think that, oh, play baseball this season, play basketball another season, play football, red track, do as many sports as you can. If they can do all those sports, great, but it's not going to make them more athletic. Their athleticism is their athleticism. If they're athletic enough to play multiple sports, then they're going to be athletic enough to play multiple sports. But just because I play baseball and then I'm going to play basketball doesn't mean I'm going to get better at baseball by playing basketball. It doesn't mean I'm going to get better at basketball by playing baseball. They're just athletic enough to throw and then also jump and shoot. It's not really connected. Just because I can throw baseball really hard, that doesn't mean that, okay, I can throw Let's say I'm a high school kid and I can throw 90 miles an hour. That doesn't mean that I'm now going to go play basketball and drop 35 points a game. Now, throwing 90 miles an hour is pretty athletic. So maybe they are athletic enough to do that. How many examples are there of pitchers that are just look super funky and weird, but they're able to throw hard? 
because they're really good at that thing. And now it's not because all these pitchers that throw hard stuff because, oh, they played all these sports in high school, even though you hear a lot of the time, oh, this kid played basketball, he played football, he maybe he swam, whatever they did, they didn't do that to get more athletic. They did that because they were athletic. And at the end of the day, they enjoyed it. And so enjoying something is obviously going to make you better at it. You're going to want to do it more. This whole idea of play multiple sports, you're going to be more athletic. I don't necessarily agree with. I think it's great to play multiple sports, but elite athletes played multiple sports in high school and when they were younger because they were elite athletes, not because those other sports made them a better athlete. Yeah, I do feel I played soccer when I was younger and then I played basketball a lot when I was younger. And when I got older, I played football and baseball more. I played basketball a little bit. And while I think it would be very challenging or difficult to argue against what you're saying about athleticism, a lot of it's genetic, a lot of it's what you come to the plate with, what you're bringing to the field is that athleticism is there in a lot of ways, whether you're playing 10 sports, one sport or whatever you're doing in terms of sports. So I definitely think that makes a lot of sense. The athleticism is a little more inherent, but I do know that my football skills, I went and played tight end. I feel like playing basketball, my handling skills of the ball, because basketball is just so much passing. And do you think that it did help it a little? But again, this is definitely not scientific, Jared. I'm just saying anecdotal. And also I couldn't do a control or anything for this or a longitudinal study. And I think soccer allowed me to have better footwork. I think that's why I was so good at football. I could catch the ball because of basketball. I think my hands were really good from basketball. I had really good hands and I had great footwork. And so you combine those two at tight end. But I agree. I do think mostly the athleticism is something that shouldn't be the reason like we are putting kids in multiple sports want them to be more athletic but i do believe that playing multiple sports and jared i know you didn't touch on this but i'm sure you would agree it's a good mental break for young athletes to go into other sports right so one of the things we talk about 80 20 is hey play multiple sports but like what you said is be necessarily a better athlete there might be a little there might be there might not be any there might whatever but there's definitely something i firmly believe this to be true that the mental break for most kids is very beneficial to be able to get a break from something too much of anything is not a good thing in life and relationships and anything we do we need to have some balance and we need diversity so i think the mental break more than anything is very beneficial for athletes to play multiple sports. Also, different sports have different types of cultures and different tools that they can teach kids. They can give different tool sets to kids. So definitely some positives there. But I like how you touched on that athleticism part, the misconception that, oh, it's going to just make you this Patrick Mahomes or whatnot. Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback because he was a pitcher or whatnot. He was probably going to be an amazing quarterback, whether he played baseball or not. Anyways, I get excited about that multi-sport athlete thing because I do think, like you said, there's some misconceptions. But overall, do you agree that it's a benefit? Would you agree with kind of what I'm talking about with the mental? break. You can learn by different coaches, a variety of different coaches from different sports can be good for kids. Would you agree with that part? A thousand percent, a thousand one percent. I Multiple sports, I hope no one thinks I'm dogging on athletes who play multiple sports. I think multiple sports are fantastic. And the mental break is huge, especially with a sport like baseball, which is such a mental sport, a mentally draining sport. It's great to get a break, and do another sport and do something else. And what you said, though, about how with yourself playing soccer at a younger age, playing basketball, how you in football, I think that I totally agree with that. And that was most likely the case where just because this other sport is not going to make you more athletic, it still trains another skill. And there's another discussion between skills, between skill and athleticism, but training skills, you have to do that skill to get better at that skill. So I think there, there is a benefit from playing other sports in terms of skill development. But I think playing other sports is fantastic. If you're able to is such a good idea. Like you said, you get a different culture. 
you get different coaches, you learn different styles, different culture styles. And I think that playing other sports is really going to help you not only if you like it, but it's going to teach you a lot of life lessons too. A lot of coaches like to use baseball to describe life as a game of failure. You have to learn how to deal with it. Other sports teach you other things too. So I think broadening and being able to play multiple sports, if you're able to, is such a good idea. I think it's, if you're able to do it, awesome. I think more people should do it. I just don't want the idea of, like you said with Patrick Mahomes, like he was going to be a great quarterback regardless if he played baseball or not. He's just that much of an elite athlete that he's able to do that. Same with any elite athlete who's at the top. Like for example, Kyler Murray, he was a top baseball draft pick. Is he an NFL quarterback because he was a top MLB draft pick? No, but he was a great baseball player because he was so athletic. Like you said, I think it's a really good idea. And I completely agree with you that multiple sports are a fantastic thing. Interesting what you said about skill versus athleticism. That kind of got me thinking there. I got the wheel spinning. That was interesting how you separate the two a little. And now that I think about it, Jared, some of the best baseball players ever played with or coached can never played another sport. At least they didn't play another sport from middle school on. So one thing that's interesting, Jared, and this is a thought I had and you got me thinking about this, and there's no really question off this, but it's just one of those things that I see Coach bad mouth, the not bunting, or you should bunt more or not bunt in baseball. And then they'll show a video of the bunt producing a wild throw by the third baseman and creating a big inning. So that's their evidence to say you should bunt more. And in that case, that bunt didn't create some chaos and the small game did pay off. Or at the end of the game, you might see a team strand a runner or hit into a double play. And that was the tying run when they could have maybe bunted him over. And so coaches, they'll go to that and they'll show that or they'll use that as evidence, but they don't turn around and show the World Baseball Classic semifinal where Japan, had, I think it was first and second, runners are first and second, nobody out. And the lefty for Japan hits the ball off the wall against Mexico. Otani was on second. Obviously, another Japanese runner was on first. They both scored, win the game. So a lot of coaches would say, hey, why didn't they button that situation? The guy just rips a double off the middle of the wall in center field and just wins the game on one swing. It's interesting, like what you talk about with the athleticism or using this example or that example of athletes that are really successful or whatnot. And it just makes me think about making sure as coaches and especially at our level, you and I are working and trying to help mentor and coach other coaches or athletes, a lot of athletes. They were careful to be balanced with our takes on things. And I like your approach to things. It's not a, I know everything in definitive. It's, hey, we think, you know, and it's not a one size fits all. It's also, it's not black and white. And so I really like where you're coming from. And speaking of where you're coming from, I want to hear what you have to say about this next question, Jared. Is there something that you're currently doing with your athletes? So something you're doing right now, training your athletes in a way that you believe is an updated or an improved version of what? What the majority of the baseball strength and conditioning world and coaches are doing? Yeah, so I have four things. I have two that are on the non-advanced side and two on the advanced side. So I'll start with the non-advanced side. So I think the biggest thing that I've done that I've noticed gets me the best results is really taking the extra step and really trying to build a relationship with my athletes. And I know everyone talks about their relationship. Oh, you know, get to know each other. But I mean, like really get to know them, learn how they work, learn what makes them happy, what angers them. And everyone always talks about buy-in. How do we get buy-in? 
a big thing with buy-in is building that connection, getting that athlete to trust you. Because most of the time you get an athlete as a strength coach, you've never worked with them before. They don't know really anything about you. Maybe, you know, they heard about your program or they heard about where you work, or you know, if you're working at a school, they decide to go to that school, but they didn't decide to go to that school for the strength coach. They went to that school because they like the sport program there. So really getting buy-in and getting them to trust you. And I think the biggest way to do that is to get to know them. So with my remote athletes, I don't get to see them, but every time I have my check-in with them, you know, I'm asking them about how their day went, how their family's doing, what are they up to? Everything about them. I think that's the most important thing is getting an athlete to trust you and to build that trust is to build a connection. You know, let them know what's going on with me. I think being able to build a connection has really helped them progress because they're trusting that, hey, what I'm going to give to you, I truly believe. And along with that too, programming stuff that I do to give to them. Not every strength coach is going to train the way that they train their athletes, but I like to. I still like to train like a baseball player because for me, it's fun. The next thing that I think that I do that kind of helps me out is this like five to 10% rule. So what I mean by this is this is more for the older, more serious athlete, but it can be scaled down to athlete in high school and athlete just getting started is this is more on the remote side or it's the in-person side is basically prescribing five to 10% less than what you really want to. So what I mean by this is, let's say there's tons of different ways to write a program. There are tons of ways to manage stress and manage workload. I try to give them 5% less of everything because this is assuming that they're going to go out and do stuff on the side. Usually when writing programs, you're taking into account the time they're going to be with you, the time they're going to be home. You're taking into account a lot of different things. And so what I like to take into account is what if they're going to do extra stuff? And so I don't want my program to interfere with them wanting interfere with them wanting to do extra things so let's say i give an athlete let's say they're doing an upper body lift on a certain day and then let's say that i know that they're the type of athlete that likes to hit the gym two times a day now is it the best thing in the world probably not but is it going to make that athlete happy yeah so what i'm going to do is all right i'm going to give you a little bit less because i know you're going to go do this on the side and there's nothing wrong with the athlete wanting to do two workouts two workouts in a day now, when we get to season and you have the stress of games and all this other stuff going on, yeah, maybe it's the, the chance to have a talk with them and say, hey, I noticed you're like working out twice a day. We're going to need to figure out something because I know working out is awesome, but we got to perform on the field. Finding that balance with them so that this 5 to 10% rule, I found it really useful. So that's the second thing. Now, for more of the advanced side of things. So a lot of coaches really like to focus on strength. So the strength and condition world, strength is huge. Being strong is awesome. But at the end of the day, as at least as a baseball chain and conditioning coach, your job is to make them throw hard and hit bombs. That's what everyone wants to do. So I really try to focus my programs on speed and acceleration. Now, that's not to say that I'm not actively training strength because strength is important, but my focus is really on getting them as fast and as quick as possible because that's what's going to translate most to the field. We can get super strong on a squat and we can get up to a four plate squat, but there are a lot of athletes, especially in college and high school, who are super strong and they're like, oh, this kid deadlifts 500 pounds, but he only throws 82. There's no transfer over there. So that transfer, in my opinion, is between that speed and acceleration. How quickly can we create force and what is our top speed? So obviously the top speed, the more the faster we are, and acceleration, how quickly can we get to that top speed? Baseball is all about acceleration. How quickly can we get from first to third? That's where the top speed is going to come in. So let's say we're first to third, your first couple steps are acceleration 
or even steal in second base. Acceleration, and then how fast are we? So we want to accelerate to top speed really fast, and we want our top speed to be really fast. So focusing on how quickly can we swing, how quickly can we throw, how fast are we, I think gives the athlete the best chance to transfer over what they do in the weight room to the field. Because a lot of times with an athlete, they don't really see that translation between what they're doing in the weight room to what they're doing in the field. Now, there are some freak athletes that do deadlift 500 pounds and can throw 92, 95. And then there are also athletes who, perfect example off the top of my head is Jacob deGrom. Now, obviously he lifts, but that dude's not in there crushing five plate squats and benching three plates and doing all that. He's doing things that are going to prepare his body to perform on the field. And I'd be willing to bet a lot of it is acceleration-based, speed-based, and then we have stability. And that's not to say Jacob deGrom isn't strong, but he's relatively strong to his body and he's ball strong. He's able to use what he does in the weight room and use that to support what he does on the field. And then the last thing that he brought up the spine thing. So... There's this new theory called the spinal engine theory. Now, this is very advanced and very scientific, but the shortened version of this is that the main idea now is that we use the feet and the hips drive the body. In hitting, you got to load the hips and the hips unload the torso. Or in pitching, you use your legs to throw hard. There's this theory that was developed around the 1980s. I'm going to mess up his name, but his name is Serge Grakowski. But you can look up spinal engine theory and there's a book by him. Basically, spinal engine theory is the idea that locomotion... So walking and moving originates from the spine and not from the hips and the feet like we once thought. So the idea behind this is not to say that the hips and the feet don't impact, but more that the hips and the feet are a byproduct of what the spine does. And so there's a fantastic video that brought me into this world. I'm forgetting his name, but he is a famous speaker. He was born without arms or legs. And there's a video of him walking and it's a slow-mo video and there's some like Sharpie on his back. And you can see that even though he doesn't have arms and legs, his spine is moving and his body is moving as if he has legs. We're not saying that, oh, that there, that's the reason why the spinal engine theory is a thing. It's just an example that really brought me into it. And so to expand on this with my athletes is this whole idea of core bracing. Now, I know this might get a little controversial because I was like, oh, core bracing, I protect the core. So the biggest thing that with core bracing is if I were to tell you right now to squeeze your core. And most people say core, they refer to abs, but the core includes a lot more than just the abs. But most people say core, they use abs. So if I told you to squeeze your abs as hard as you possibly can and try to rotate, you'd have a pretty tough time doing it. Now you are going to be able to rotate, but it feels like you're fighting yourself versus if I told you, all right, just keep your hips forward and now rotate. Obviously, you can be able to rotate a lot more. But what we're getting now is by keeping our hips forward is we're rotating the spine and we're rotating with tension. We're not rotating against tension. And so that's the biggest thing that, in my opinion, is with the spinal engine is that we're moving the spine with tension. The spine is looked at this very fragile part of our body that we have to protect. If we look at baseball, the spine is moving around pretty fast. We're swinging fast. We're throwing fast. That spine is moving and the spine is able to move with tension, not because we're racing the core, but because the spine is driving the energy. The muscles around the core, the muscles around the spine are transferring energy. They're being stretched like a rubber band. What I like to say is a stiff spine creates stiff movement and a mobile spine creates fluid movement. Basically, if we're practicing bracing the core, and that's not to say that there are exercises where you shouldn't brace the core. Obviously, if you like lifting heavy, you're going to need to brace your core so you don't develop lower back problems. But when we're performing rotational movements or performing any type of movement that is not a basic movement, 
the core needs to be able to move. If we brace it and move, we're going to move extremely stiff. So if you look at some players, some of them say, oh, they move really fluidly or they move like they're very stiff. It'd be interesting to look at their training and see, hey, how do they train? Do they do a lot of things that involve bracing the core and not using the spinal engine, the spinal engine being the spine moving around? Or are they able to move with tension? Are they able to use their spine to help create tension? That's my advanced thing that I'm doing with my athletes. It's still a very heavily debated topic and there are a lot of people who are for it and a lot of people who are against it. But I think that training the spine to be healthy and training the spine to move around and move with tension and create power and not treating the spine as some delicate thing that we have to be protective of is going to benefit the athlete more in the long run than teaching them to brace their core and move. That's my opinion on it. And I think anyone should dive into it and learn more about it because it's I think it's a really interesting idea. And that wraps up part one of our interview with Coach Jared Slater. Part two will be coming to you next week. I hope you liked it. At the end of next week's episode, we're going to dive in. We're going to break down some of the stuff we talked about. Not too much because I think the interview speaks for itself. So we're going to wrap up the episode, this week's episode right here. And until next week, take care of yourself, your health, your families, your close friends, and take this information that we heard from Coach Slater from this interview and take it out to the field. Take it to the training environment. Use it with your players, your kid. And until next week, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field. 